Well, good morning. It looks very clumsy for me this morning to walk up with uh, braille books and a uh, laptop. I was at the security coming into Abu Dhabi two days ago, and uh, the security man uh, asks if he could check my bag. He says, sure. And he says, I see you've got books. said, yeah. And what else do you have in here? said, a laptop. He said, laptop? I said, yes. Uh, how do you use the laptop, he says. And uh, I say, like everybody else, except that uh, on my laptop I have a speech software that helps me to uh, navigate. And he said, whoa, okay. So he asks, can you type? said, yes, I've been typing from when I was 14. And uh, that's the truth. Um, I learned to type on a typewriter, and when the computers came, I transferred that to uh, the computer system. Now, this morning, the reason why I'm using my laptop is not because I like to use it. It's because the someone notes that were passed to you actually on my laptop, so I'm not going to be doing that in Braille. And so I'm wired on my left here with reference uh, to uh, my laptop so that you're able to follow with your notes. Um, and uh, the subject that I have this morning is very interesting before I tear into it, I would like to uh, first of all uh, thank Pastor Gareth and uh, his wife uh, Carrie for taking the risk to invite a stranger uh, to speak at your church this morning. Um, and so I would like to uh, begin with a caveat that uh, any thoughts or opinions shared in this sermon are not those necessarily of Pastor Gareth and uh, this congregation, and neither are they of the government of the UAE. They are entirely mine. And uh, I'm totally responsible if you want to interact. Um, I'm available, extremely available, on Facebook and Twitter. Um, on Facebook, you can follow me on the page. It's called Kigame media. Uh, on Twitter, I go by the name Papa Kigame. <laughs> that doesn't make me a pope, but um, uh, Papa is a title the young people have given me uh, because of giving me the opportunity to Papa them. Um, I also come here um, very, very grateful to a family friend, Jane Yobera, who is here, if you could raise your hand. Jane and her husband have been my friend, friends for years. And um, uh, Jane invited me to be part of the Ravi Zacharias uh, engagement last night and tonight. And uh, God willing, I'll be traveling back to Kenya tomorrow. And so thank you so much for the opportunity to bring God's word to you. That, the topic that I'm sharing with you this morning, I have titled, 
when God takes away. When God takes away. In a sense, this addresses the area of suffering and the challenges in life. And I would dare say that I have had a lot of things taken away from me. I have lost a lot of things. And I'm sure that uh, you may have lost some things too, or you know some people who've lost uh, precious things uh, in their lives. I personally, of course, uh, lost the ability to see when I was three years old. But I have also lost um, significant people in my life. About 13 years ago, I actually lost my first love, that is my wife, that I met at the university, and uh, we lived together for 15 years, a very good friend of Jane's, and we had three children together. I lost her in a terrible road accident. She was driving our daughter, who was two years then, to hospital in Nairobi, and um, um, a minibus uh, that was driving recklessly uh, rammed into our car that she was driving. And uh, about three hours later, um, at a hospital, I lost her. It is probably the darkest hour I will ever be able to talk about in my life, but that was hard. And I asked the big questions, why, why, why? And of course, asking God, why do this to me? Where have you been? I love you, I'm born again, why would you do that to me? And uh, um, it's not the only time I've lost something. I. Uh, was called into ministry, and uh, as part of uh, the uh, growth of the ministry, I established a radio station uh, that I called Fish FM, and we were on air for nine years. And because of certain economic challenges and uh, things that were taking place in uh, the country at that time, I had to shut down because it was not sustainable anymore. And maybe this morning I'm talking to someone here who has lost something like me. It could be that at one time you lost a job and it was terrible. You, you felt like life had come to an end. Or maybe you've lost a child. Directly, you know, you, you brought forth a child and at one point you just, you know, they died. Or maybe you've lost a pregnancy as, as a family you know, through a miscarriage or something um, you know, that uh, uh, made you unable to, to carry a pregnancy to term. It could be that you've lost health. You're here this morning and uh, you're not feeling too good or you're living with a condition or someone in the family is you know, going through some hard health situations. Maybe you might be here and you've lost an exam before. You failed an exam that you worked so hard to pass. Or lost a career path like me. 
I really wanted to be a lawyer, but missed it by two points. And so I was forced, you know, to go kicking and screaming to Kenyatta University to study for a degree in education, something I did not want. I don't know what your story is. It could be that you've lost something. Something precious has been taken away from you. And you're seated here this morning asking the big questions, why, why, why? And maybe you've graduated to the place where you actually blame God or you dissociate God from uh, whatever is happening and uh, you just don't, don't think that God can be involved with such things so you end up blaming the devil and so on. Now this is not something very new um, in the world. Suffering and pain and things being taken away from us is, uh, is something very common. If it has not happened to you, you can take it from me. It will happen sooner or later. I listened to a tape by um, the wife of uh, Jim Elliot. And Jim Elliot is the, the missionary to South America that uh, was killed by, among the Auka. And uh, Jim Elliot is um, credited with having said something very, very profound. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Now, that's the famous statement by the husband of Elizabeth, who I heard say once of suffering, that suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. That is suffering. You have something you don't want to have, or you want something so bad, but you cannot have it. You suffer for it. It's painful. But that's not as bad as having something and then that thing is taken away from you. And I was looking at the Bible and realized that the Bible is full of incidents and stories about people who had things taken away from them. Just in passing, there is a passage in the book of Job, chapter 1 and verse 21. Job 1, 21 says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We all know the story of Job and how difficult his life was. He lost all his children. He lost his health. He lost his property, and he lost the allegiance of his wife, who told him, why don't you just curse God and die? That was Job. But God took something from Job 
not one, not two, a lot of things. I also came across a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which I would like to read to you in Braille. If you have your Bible, you could turn there. To 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing about a vision he had where God showed him some uh, uh, mysterious things in heaven. And he says that to keep him from boasting about the revelations and the great things that God had shown him, uh, God gave him not so good a thing. He described it as a thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh. So reading from verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these uh, Let me read that again. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that, Christ, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is Paul. But, is it possible that there are Bible characters from whom things have been taken away? There are Bible men and women from whom things have been taken away. And this is a big encouragement for me. I hope it is for you too. Peter says that uh, uh, your fellow brothers and sisters all over the world go through similar situations. And so when I think about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, when sin comes into the world, I realize that actually the Garden of Eden is taken away from Adam and Eve. They no longer enjoy um, the comfort and the provision that God intended for them. The Garden was taken away. When it comes to our father of faith, Abraham, in Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis 18, we have a series of things in the life of Abraham and his family that indicate to us that even the greatest men of faith like Abraham had certain things taken away from them. We have Abraham sometimes living in situations where he had no food. 
And God tells him, why don't you go down to Egypt? You will survive. So he takes his family and goes all the way to Egypt. But Abraham, we all know, also lived childless for a long time. In fact, he gets Isaac and Ishmael in his old age. God promises, but the promise takes too long to come. And so normal childbearing ability was uh, denied this man of faith, the father of faith. But what is even uh, uh, more interesting is that one of the greatest uh, people in the Bible who wrote very many Psalms, David, had things taken away from him. David lost security. King Saul was always looking for him to kill him. He lost security. David lost the loyalty of his wife, Michal. Severally, you know, David is just worshiping God and having a good time in the presence of God, and Michal laughs at him and mocks him. What are you doing to yourself? You know. And uh, David lost a child as well. I can tell you for sure, uh, it's not in your notes there, but David also had a moment where he lost his integrity. He did. Now, when we look at someone like Joseph, Joseph lost family loyalty. His brothers were not very good to him. And Joseph in Egypt also loses a job, you know, because of being accused falsely. Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph for wanting to rape her. And Joseph is thrown into prison. And so you can imagine this godly boy going through all that. He lost a lot. When you look at Job, like I have mentioned, he, he lost, you know, his children. He loses his property. He loses his job. I mean, he, he loses his health, excuse me. He sits down and begins to, uh, uh, to, to scratch himself and uh, um, sort of his itching skin is tormented with so many sores that he uses a potsherd to sort of scratch himself and so on and then loses the loyalty of his wife. When you look in the New Testament, you find that our Lord Jesus Christ himself, so to speak, loses the glory, takes on humanity, gives up that glory. Sometimes you see him praying, Lord, glorify me again with the glory that you and I had. He humbles himself, Philippians 2 says, and takes on the, uh, the nature of, of a servant. You know, he who, he, who, he who is king, he who is lord of the whole universe through whom everything was made, actually ends up losing everything divine while giving it up and taking up humanity. Yes, he was God and remained God, but took on a different nature that portrayed him sometimes as someone who got tired, 
someone who could sleep, someone who could get hungry like you and me, and suddenly someone who could die. And Jesus sometimes was discomforted. His friends forsook him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going through his worst moment. He loses the loyalty of his friends. And he ends up losing his life, betrayed by someone he mentored, someone that was so close to him. Some of us have lost friendships that were so close to us. Jesus did. Some of us have been betrayed. Jesus was. And you can see Paul, his disciple, going through yeah, such a situation uh, because of the gospel, of course, and for a good reason, he loses his pride and he suffers for the gospel. But Paul was also beheaded in Rome. We know that. But what is interesting is that Paul had this thing he calls a thorn in the flesh. And because of uh, Dr. Luke uh, writing uh, a lot about Paul and traveling with Paul, uh, you, you probably get this sense that Paul was struggling with a health condition. Dr. Luke certainly needed to be with him. Some people have conjectured that Paul may have had a visual challenge. And that's why, um, you know, he would write and say, see how such large letters I have used, you know, uh, to, to write to you. And occasionally, you know, I know you would, you would have been willing to pluck your eyes and give them to me. Sometimes he says that. And so he had this thing, whatever it was, something that was not very comfortable. And he prays several times to God, please take it away. And Paul's, you know, uh, Paul's prayer is not affirmatively answered. God says in the passage we just read, uh, no, Paul, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made manifest in uh, weakness. And so does God take away? Oh yes, he does. He does. He does. He does take away very regularly. He took away from Job as we've seen. But it's interesting when you read in Genesis 15 from verse 13, uh, God actually tells Abraham, for certain, Abraham, your descendants shall be strangers. They will be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They'll be enslaved and they'll be mistreated for 400 years. Yes, God allows it, he does. When you look at Joseph's life again, um, Joseph tells his brothers, you meant what you did for evil, but God meant it for good, to save many lives. So God allows it. It is God who allows the Israelites uh, to be enslaved. It's God who takes away from Job. It's God who tells Abraham, your descendants will be, for certain, for sure, they will be slaves. 
and they'll be mistreated in a foreign land. When it comes to the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 11, God wants to send Moses to bring Israel out of Egypt, out of that mistreatment and slavery. And um, Moses has excuse after excuse after excuse. And God asks Moses, Moses, who made man's mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute or blind? And most of us would say the devil. But Exodus 4.11 has a last line that says, is it not I, the Lord? So God allowed Moses to be a stammerer took away his ability to speak well. When it comes to the book of John, chapter 9, there is a story of this man that was born blind. And the disciples of Jesus come to him and say, whose sin was it that this man was born blind? And uh, Jesus says, whose sin? And the disciples ask, and give Jesus the options. Is it his parents' sin or is it his own sin? And Jesus says, neither. Neither his parents nor the man's own sins. This happened so that the works of God would be displayed in his life. God allowed the man to be born blind. I've had occasion where I've walked into Christian meetings and uh, people have wanted so bad for me to see again. And they, they strongly say, you know, they, they say they strongly believe that God is telling them to pray for me to see. And there have been circuses around that. It was one morning uh, growing up as a young Christian, you know, a friend of mine would corner me into a bush uh, in times of devotion and he would literally be banging on my shoulders so that I can receive my sight. That was the wrong place to bang, but uh, uh, I wish maybe he found it too much to bang the eyes. But uh, here I am still not able to see. And some people ask me, would you like to see again? I tell them, earlier, yes, now, no. Because one, it would totally disrupt my life. Uh, I would have to sort of relearn how to live. I don't have much time. I actually uh, wish I had 48 hours in a day. But, I can put it to you that there are also some good reasons for, for being blind. And one of them is if you frown at my sermon right now, I'll not even notice. <laughs> That's pretty good. And uh, certainly, for those of you that have a lot of challenge with visual pornography, that is something that God has exempted me from. You can stick a magazine with a nude 
figure in front of me and I will not even notice it. And I praise God for that. But here is a situation where Jesus actually said that sometimes it's so that the works of God can be displayed. And it's a miracle for me to be able to read my Bible in Braille on, on computer to go to school uh, for the glory of God, um, all the reading and uh, the degrees I, I have, I actually um, would say are God's um, benevolent way of showing that his power can be uh, made manifest through weakness and uh, I can travel around the world and share the gospel despite my handicap and produce all these albums. I'll actually be releasing my 26th album in December. Not so that you can uh, really uh, celebrate me and say how many things I can do. I really think that God has made me a wonderful guinea pig of the display of his power. Um, even for some of you here this morning who are full of complaining and a lot of excuses why you cannot do something or the other. And, uh, you know, Paul is asking God, take it away, take it away. God says, no. Wait a minute, I still have some work to do through you to display my power through weakness. So what happens when God takes away? Many things happen. Many things happen. And one of the things hap that happens is that we deny God's involvement. We deny his involvement in taking away. We completely live in denial and we dissociate him from acts of taking away. And sometimes it's out of piety, sheer piety. We don't want to associate God with taking away. We think it will make him look good if he's not involved. But I think that's where we make a mistake, not only because he allows things to be taken away, but also I think when we realize that God can be involved, then we find the solution. And that solution is born in sovereignty. That nothing can really thwart the plans of God, not even evil, not even a taking away. And so I could confidently say, God will take away something for the same reason he will give it. His glory. His glory. Sometimes we think that he doesn't exist. That is what the atheist does. So the atheist says, if there's so much evil in the world, it's a sign that God does not exist. Guess what? How come we can still survive with so much evil around us? It is actually the display of the power of God not to be controlled by evil rather than 
to be so impotent as to be unable to do anything about it. The last time I had a discussion with uh, some atheists in Kenya, I had a rough time. Because I asked them a couple of questions, and one of the questions I asked was, tell me, who does not exist? And says, God. Say, say what? Who does not exist? God. I said to them, so you actually need a God that you can deny. And so your, your faith as an atheist is based on the denial of the existence of God. So God must exist for you to deny. But then it became even worse. I asked them, so for real, if God does not exist, why bother telling anybody? Because it will not make a difference. Why spend energy announcing that something does not exist or someone does not exist if they actually don't exist? Why would you spend your energy on that? But one of the big reasons why they would say God does not exist is there's so much evil. If you read, you know, the philosophy books of people like uh, uh, David Hume, especially Dialogues Concerning Natural Religion, he puts down those, uh, do, uh, the, the two um, sides of the discussion. He says, if God exists and evil exists, then it means that both cannot coexist because if God existed and he is good, then he would be willing to do something about evil. And if he was all-powerful, then he could. He would have the power to do something about evil. And both exist, therefore, uh, also it means that such a God does not exist. I wish we had time to tear into that. And I do that when I go out to the universities and so on. But you can see the dilemma. And some of us imagine that God is the cause of evil. And I, 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 I cringe a little bit because when I think about evil, you really cannot have any understanding of evil unless you also have the understanding of what is good. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it so well. He said, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has an idea of a straight line. And so here we are with people all over the place, you know, saying he doesn't exist, he doesn't, you know. Uh, there's a rabbi called Harold Kushner who said, in fact, the problem is that God has created a world he cannot control, and so we should pray for God. And I said, to whom shall we pray? Or we will blame other people. We'll blame the government. We'll blame the society. Like the disciples, whose sin is it? Where I come from in Western Kenya, nothing just happens. It's always somebody else's problem. And the problem with that is that many times, even when we attribute 
you know, causes to other people. Sometimes we are the cause. Um, I don't know whether you ever heard of the, of the man who killed both his parents and then went to court and the judge wants to sentence him to uh, life imprisonment, imprisonment. And then he tells the judge, please don't jail me, I'm an orphan. So, and that, that is how we live. We destroy the world and then blame God for it. No angel comes down to cut down the trees or shoot someone on the street. But I tell you what, we are culpable. Sometimes we blame ourselves. You know, I'm not so good. I'm not, you know, we look at our faults. Sometimes it is just the devil and his demons we, 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 we blame, you know, everything. It's Satan that causes, or we just become indifferent. That is who we are when things are taken away from us. But in closing, so what should we do when God takes away? Because he does take away things. First of all, we need to accept his will. We need to accept his will. And like Job, say, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Involve him rather than disinvolve him, rather, rather than dissociate him. Bring him in. Lord, what should I do? Help me out. Cry out for his mercy and help. Or maybe you are at a point, it's a cross, you know, you are at a crossroad. You don't know what God's will is. You're torn in between alternatives. You do like Jesus did. Father, yes, please take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. When you are betrayed, when you are in situations you don't understand, I think you're safer just saying, Lord, let your will be done. And just watch God unfold his purposes and his plans, even in the worst of situations. Or thirdly, you could allow his grace to be at work in your life. Understand the sufficiency of his grace. His grace is sufficient for you. The grace of God is unmerited favor, even in times of evil and stress. Yes. Or just settle down for an understanding that his ways are higher than our ways. He has a higher purpose for what it is you're going through and allow him to finish the process. And you could also take comfort in knowing that one day all evil, all pain, all suffering will be eradicated, it will be taken away. The Bible says, John speaking in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth the former things had passed away. There was no more sea. I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, adorned like a bride, prepared 
Um, for the saints, and he says, and the dwelling of God shall be with his people. He shall be their God, they shall be his people. God will be in the center of it all. And you can be sure that he'll be in control of everything. He says there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. The former things will have passed away. Everything will be new. And he says, John, write this down. It is for sure it's going to happen. Wait, you know, waiting is not easy. And you can live with a promise. Like, this is for me the, the grand finale. You can live with that promise that indeed he will take care of all the pain and the evil and the sorrow. And he says even our loved ones, you know, the Bible promises that we'll be able to see our loved ones. So I know I'll see my wife again because she died in the Lord. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. We are surrounded by such a, a, a cloud of witnesses cheering us on to go on. Yes. And so we can, we can, we can certainly live as people of hope. And this morning, that is the greatest thing I can leave with you. Hope. And hope does not disappoint. I can tell you that for sure. Let me close by tearing into something you might run into when you walk out of this church today. You might find a TV channel or a magazine or uh, online site that... Um, spreads a lot of lies about suffering and pain for you as a Christian and tell you that if you're going through a situation that either you do not have enough faith or that you know, you're suffering because you did something, you're paying for your sin. Like a friend told me that my wife died because I had criticized you know, certain doctrines. And, and people say things like that inflict false guilt on you. And some of you here might be living with false guilt inflicted on you by some people who call themselves teachers of the word. Always looking for mistakes in your life. And so they say if you're broke, if you've been out of work for some time or you lost a loved one or you lost something special in your life that you're a victim of God's wrath. That's what they would say. They don't see the whole story. But there's something else that is even easier they don't see. And I'll put it to you in a series of questions. Number one, how do you ever know that God can provide unless you lack? How do you know a God who comforts unless you are discomforted? How do you ever know a God who heals unless you're sick? And how does God in the end wipe away tears that were never cried? The false preachers of our day don't have the full picture. Sometimes the only way you can testify of a miracle is when you go through situations where things are taken away from you.
And I pray the comfort of God upon you. And I pray that instead of running away from God or dissociating God from your situation, that you would allow God in your circumstances and let him take care of situations for you. Let's pray. Lord, you're big, you're great, and forgive us for trivializing you and dissociating you from your sovereignty and your control of this world. And we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to reminisce on these truths. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd send us into our different spaces with a joy and uh, the realization that you are with us. You are Emmanuel. With us is God. That you are with us until the end of the age. So we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.